Yeah, this is Music Farmer. I am Ben Grimm. That is my name. Hope life's being good to you. I keep talking to people that have been to Colorado recently, and it's starting to make me really jealous. Gotta go. Colorado at the top of my list. Although New Orleans is what's going to happen in the near future. Get some brass bands in my life. I think I'm going to go right into some music right off the bat here from the Sideshow Tragedy. Play a song off their new record, Capital, and go into an interview. Go into a great interview with them right after that. And then uh, put some more music at the end of the show to wrap things up. This is the first track from Capital, and it's called Number One. Let's do this. Yeah. Cool. So 
the Sideshow Tragedy, I have Nathan Singleton and Jeremy Harrell. Really excited to have these dudes here on the show. Thanks for coming. Thanks yeah, for having thanks us. For having so a power blues and groove duo that plays some of the some of my favorite music, my favorite kind of music. You guys, uh, how long have you guys been uh, together? Um, this band's been together ten years in April. Yeah, I mean, Their first show, April of two thousand six. And uh, we've been in, in various bands uh, since two thousand and two. So we've been playing music together pretty fairly continuously for uh, what is that? Fourteen years. Fourteen. Fourteen years. Um, so it's been a, been at it a while. Time. Yeah, it's gone through a lot of changes though. I mean the the current uh, the current band. I mean the way it is now. Me and him. The kind of music we play. Uh, the whole aesthetic presentation of it is uh, about five years old. I mean five or six years old. Yeah. So. This is, I kind of think of the Sideshow Tragedy as it exists now began when uh, we put out uh, Persona or when we were working up to releasing Persona. Gasoline. Yeah, the Gasoline EP. Yeah. Um, which is, as you say, like that groove, power blues thing. So, okay. Before that, it was sort of all over the map, you know, dabbled in Americana and uh, singer songwriter type stuff and, you know, a little folkier maybe. So are you guys coming from Arkansas from a few days ago? Uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, yeah. We played in Hot Springs, Arkansas, at Maxine's um, about you know, on Saturday or Friday night, and then uh, Waco Saturday night. We we'll kind of do that just when we're not on the road for an extended period of time. We try to be, you know, we're playing uh, around as much as we can. Maintain Re- a regional presence. <laughs> is that a, is that a main spot? We read in, that in, in the Sonic Bids, uh, <laughs> band advice blog. Band advice. Is that a main spot in, ho- in Hot Springs? Uses. Yeah, Maxine's a, a really good place to play in Hot Springs, uh, for traveling bands. They you guys normally, well. normally get a good reception there? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a cool place. You yeah, know, I haven't, uh, I haven't spent too much time in Arkansas, but I did when I was kind of writing down some questions for this. I, w- I thought of that Bonnaroo trip, my, my first and only time that I went like five years ago and uh, with a girlfriend. And we, ha- we had a small car at the time. And we were on our way back somewhere kind of in a remote spot, I think near like Clinton's hometown or whatever. And there was a real hope. 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 Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, it was a really bad 18-wheeler accident. And we were stuck on the highway for like five and a half hours, just camping out, and you know that was not fun after three days of of Bonnaroo, yeah. And doing that whole thing in a tiny car, and I was wondering uh, like if that has that ever happened to you guys, like on the road coming I-95. or going to shows? I ninety five going yeah. from uh, you know, Jersey Turnpike, going from uh, New York City to Richmond, Virginia, and we were stuck for for literally four hours, just stopped on the highway and then i had to drive like 100 miles an hour to get there on time but we made it we did we made it we were like an hour late we <laughs> showed up we showed up when it's like yeah we're the headliner now thanks yeah, that's basically it's exactly, exactly what, what happened, happened. Yeah. yeah yeah so that's yeah and it was like it, there was no turnaround or escape route because the middle of the highway is mm-hmm. just yeah. all trees and I'm like oh shit this is bad yeah there's a, a really good uh short story by julio cortazar called the southern Thruway about about that scenario but it it goes for months you're stuck on a traffic jam on the 
the uh, the freeway that goes from from Paris to Marseille. Yeah, and uh, people fall in and out of love, uh, get pregnant, um, old men die, uh, little groups uh, set up. You know, it it's like a whole community kind of built on the highway. And I think when you get stuck in situations like that, you can see, you know, where his mind was writing the story. He was probably stuck in a traffic jam like that. And, you know, it's a uh, it's nightmarish. But uh, it it's also, you know, a lot of people's daily reality, too, in a way, if you kind of add it up over a yeah, life awesome, a lifespan absolutely. of sitting in traffic. Sure. Yeah, but, and all, but I mean, you know, when you next time you're sitting in one of those traffic jams, think about that story and how it goes on for I say weeks or months, I can't remember. But once the traffic jam finally clears up and everybody's finally making their way back to I can't remember if they're going to Paris or if they're going to Marseille, whichever way the traffic is going, but um they're all kind of disappointed that they have to go back to their regular life now because that they that became their regular life. You know, they they were shaken up by it. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I like that. I like that. Have you have you guys ever been on Johnny Gowdy's podcast? Yes, you have. Okay, uh, a couple times. Yeah, a couple times. All right. Yeah, he's uh, definitely very well established. I don't know. Do you know how long he's been doing that show? Um, I was the I went on it um, by myself uh, in 2011, and I think I was like the fourth or fifth guest. So it's a couple of years. 2011. Yeah, yeah I think. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I hadn't, uh, you know, when I like started doing this thing, you know, started doing this show, I, you know, I did, I did some beating the bushes and looking around for other podcasts like this in town, and like, and I hadn't heard of his show, and I had couldn't find it on the internet, and then like a couple of months later after I started this, someone, like a new person at work, was like, oh yeah, like a, you know, yeah, Johnny Gowdy, have you ever heard of him? <laughs> no, nope, <laughs> okay. It's a so great not, podcast. Yeah, no, I, I like his show, and I'm certainly not bashing it and just trying to get a piece of that pie, too, you know? Yeah, of course. So let's uh, let's talk Resonator Guitars. Okay. And I was doing some looking and reading at National Guitars, the National Guitars website earlier. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, there's going on about, you know, the origins of the Resonator and the old bluesmen mm-hmm. without the amplification, you know, electric amplification of sound needing a way to make themselves heard over a... Well, the line, the funny line to me was over the noise of a severely chemically, in you know, <laughs> chemically impaired crowd in a sweaty juke joint is what it read on the website, right. and also on the street too. You know, they play yeah. on street corners uh, and for, you know, busking. And they would, uh, if say there was a guy playing, you know, a, a, a wooden a wooden bodied acoustic guitar across the street, you could set up across the street from him. And start playing, and you drown him out because they're they're you know they can be like I think I think three or four times as loud as an acoustic guitar. They're very loud, and um, you know you'd get all the all the spectators and thus all the tips because nobody could hear him. Mm-hmm. So that was it. They were designed for a big band uh, guitarists and for Hawaiian music. Not I don't think the guys that invented them even knew what blues was probably at that time. You know there were these. Um, I think they were Czechoslovakian guys out in L.A. Um, and, you know, blues was a, a very, like, southern regional thing at the time in the 20s. Um, it hadn't, like, that kind of music, that hard delta blues that the guitar eventually became associated with uh, wasn't something that was, like, super well-known outside of the outside of the region that it came from and outside of the audience that it was made for, 
So it was just a pragmatic thing. They just said, well, I want to, you know, that once they get a hold of one of those guitars, and they were, um, I read somewhere, some somebody was talking about how they could, you know, it, those places that they played could be kind of rough, and you could use them as a weapon, you know. <laughs> they look like, yeah, they look like you could defend yourself with and, it. You know, you could go up somebody's head with one. I mean, a wooden guitar might smash, but they won't. <laughs> Try to steal your tips. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to talk about some of, I mean, some of your background with it, and and your dad is a collector? Yeah, my dad, my dad collected them, and um, I mean, he had, I mean, he had, um, a, they were just around when I was growing up, uh, around the house, and I just that was the first time I, you know, little kids draw pictures of whatever is around and what their dad does, and I would draw a picture of a guitar. If somebody said to me when I was say five or six, they say draw a picture of a guitar, I would have drawn a picture of a of a resonator because those were the guitars that were around. And he had like a wood body dobro too. And so I was just sort of used to him, you know, and listening to he listened to Johnny Winter a lot and also to all old dudes like Sunhouse and Bucka White. And uh so I just kinda it just was sort of like normal to me. I didn't I didn't um I didn't seek blues out like a lot of people do. I just, uh, you know, they listen to Led Zeppelin or Rolling Stones and go back, you know, go yeah. find who influenced them, and that's what my dad did, so it was just normal to me. Um, but I was also into, uh, you know, rock music and, you know, all sorts of stuff and punk rock. And uh, there was a guy uh, who's like my um, probably my biggest, uh, you know, influence uh, uh musically uh, guitar, I mean guitar playing wise or whatever uh, named Chris Whitley who um, amplified him he put uh, he, ta- he taped these pickups to him and play him through an amplifier and uh, I thought that was the coolest thing in the world you know because I was already familiar with the guitars but here was this guy that was doing something with them that was you know that you didn't do mm-hmm. um, so uh, I, I eventually did that myself and kind of went you know went went in that direction and went like you know to, towards a more i guess i don't know punk blues or punk rock direction with it a harder a harder thing yeah know? i just i just remembered i think i uh that spider house free week show i remembered seeing you playing on one with a uh, the pickup taped onto it yeah they all have pickups taped on them which it's i mean so like the whole idea like the tonalities of a of a resonator guitar is uh you know um it has, you know, they all have different characteristics. Some are made out of steel, some are made out of brass, some are made out of German silver. Um, and a lot of that is lost when you amplify them, you know. But what you get is this weird uh, hybrid sound. Like, you know, for, like we don't have a bass player, right? And um, But there's this huge, like, sonorous, like, low end that comes out of them that doesn't come out of a regular electric guitar because the electric guitar... You know, it's a compressed signal. Mm-hmm. When you, a magnetic pickup signal is a compressed signal, but you have all these tons of overtones that come out of resonator guitars because they're acoustic, they're hollow, and then that resonator, and it just creates all of these weird overtones, and, and it just has a huge bottom end, you know? So it's kind of, like, integral to to our sound, uh, particularly as a duo, because the guitars just, they sound enormous. I mean, right, when you're yeah, playing through an amplifier and and you're using, you know, effects and stuff, it's just this huge, huge guitar sound, you know? Like, just, like I said, it was all just, like, normal to me, and I ended up with them in my hands, and then it's sort of, it's kind of come to define, like, my 
my guitar sound. It, <laughs> it's your bread and butter. You know, you stick a regular electric guitar in my hand, and you know I can play them, but it's it isn't going to sound like the sideshow tragedy. That would really change things, and you don't. You guys haven't recorded any songs like that. You, it's all off resonator. Yes, yes. I mean, is well uh, with from the gasoline EP and uh, the ne- and our previous record Persona, which is our new record Capital. Uh, there's only resonator guitars. That's all there is on it. I don't play any other guitars on our records. So you have uh, you have uh, your favorite one named, or you have names for all of them? No, is that I've, something you I've never don't really that. do that. I know. I know people do that. They do. Um, we named our van. <laughs> That's pretty common. Yeah. yeah. What's the van? What's the van name? Mona. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Short for Mona Lisa. That old Econo line. No, it's yeah. like a little little minivan. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Oh, right on. Two piece. The true Econo line. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering at that Spider House show if. Uh, you guys or, or, you know, bands like you that are, you know, really beating out an energetic show and have it, you know, have that shit cranked to 11, if you get, if, if it gets strange or frustrating, you know, when you have, like, audiences and crowds kind of, you know, kind of stationary, sipping a beer, not really on the level with where you guys are, does that, is that ever a thing? No, not really. No? It's, it's really... I don't know how do I say this without sounding like a dickhead. It's it's about us, you know. It's about you show up to do what you're gonna do, and you can't control the audience's reaction. But eventually, they'll either get one over or they'll leave. Yeah, you know? yeah. Okay. I mean, you can't really go around worrying about what the audience is thinking. I don't think. Yeah, it's. I mean, obviously, it's better if they're if they're digging it, you know. Right. Uh, but. And you know, you always you feel their presence, and you you want them to dig it. You want it to resonate. But at the end of the day, you know, I I'd be uh, you're just making your music, and, and that's all there is to it. Yeah, and someone said I I I can't remember the, who the origin of the quote, but it, they said it. Uh, you know, the fiddler plays while no one listens. The fiddler plays, and a true artist plays to an empty room. Um, so. I think that rather than worry about that kind of stuff, it's it's more important to, you know, make sure that what you're doing is something that uh, feels right to you and something right. that you would want to listen to, you know. And if and if if you're honest and if if what you're doing is is that, then it's successful. And um, and I think that that honesty will resonate uh, with a lot of listeners too, because people get that. I've, I mean, at least me, I can tell when people are being disingenuous, you know, when someone is vying for my attention from the stage and I feel cheap, you pandered know, to. I feel pandered yeah. to. Mm-hmm. I would rather someone be just getting themselves off and that just the purity of that expression, um, you know, will be something that turns you on. And I think that that, you know, it's really evident in like, in, you know, like the, 70s New York punk rock and, and things like that like Patti Smith I mean she's clearly you know she's clearly into that for herself mm-hmm. and and I think that I mean that's ultimately that's w- that's why we do it too yeah just a you know the perspective from you know being in the audience and just watching bands and and or and watching an audience watch a band mm-hmm. is just a I always kind of wondered about that so I guess you know some bands really really want that attention, but 
Yeah, I think well, I think we it's want attention. That's why we got on stage in the first, <laughs> in the first place. But uh, I no, I think it's completely important. It too much, you can also see a band start to get deflated if they're not getting the reaction they want. Whereas I think what and this took a while. It's not like this happened just right off the bat. But if you're just up there doing what you want to do and they're not responding to it and it doesn't affect you, it's much better for me. And getting deflated isn't going to be good for anyone. So. Is there someone you guys really want to share a stage with that trying to work towards that and uh, kind of a bucket list thing? Uh, somebody famous. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. That's a good one. Say that. I, I like mean, that. I, think, I mean, most of them are all dead, you know. Um, most also a good answer, yeah. You know. No uh, good, no good music recorded no, after 1970. For Leon Russell uh, last year in May at this Wildflower Festival in Richardson, and that was super cool. That's really rad because that guy's awesome. Yeah. So you and just kind of cheap trick too. Yeah. Yeah, you see where you see where you end up, and lots of opportunities come your way, and you know it's always exciting to get to do something like that. But I guess if you say share a stage with, I mean, like, I mean, could it be like? Uh, Someone who you might, I mean, you really admire. Uh, I wasn't, there's there's plenty of good music now, but, like, I don't ever see myself necessarily being, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. It's not the same thing because, like, I really admire and respect Bob Dylan, um, but do I want to open for him? Eh, no, yeah. I don't know, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's a weird, it's just a weird idea, you know. I can't really wrap my head around it. I would if asked to. But that's not like it's not like something I think about, you know. Well, tell me about that cheap trick show. Where, uh, who, what, when, where, and why Dallas, about that? Uh, a, a couple years ago, uh, at that at that festival um, that Jeremy was talking about, um, it was cool. Uh, th- I think at that point it was the biggest stage I've ever played on. It was a big festival stage, you know, and cheap trick stuff was all set up, and it was cool. I mean, the little the little rock fan in me, you know, who listened to cheap trick when I was a little kid with my dad's record player. Uh, you know the checkerboard amp wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was AC30s or something. And his whole collection of guitars was off to the side of the stage. And you know, just to think like it's a slow thing that you do where you work and work and work and work and work and work. And we, I've been playing, you know, music uh, professionally for almost 20 years. Uh, 20 years this year. And uh, if 20 years ago if you know if my 15 year old self could see me do that on the stage before cheap trick played he would have been you know pretty thrilled so i have to look at it through those eyes you know mm-hmm. so it was a it was like a at the moment you know i was probably like damn right i'm opening for cheap trick you know but <laughs> you know it was it was a cool thing my 15 year old self was like Wow. So my dad was super impressed. My dad was too. <laughs> <laughs> Does your uh do your parents have a musical background, Jeremy? Uh yeah, my mom's side of the family is is very musical. My my uncles and cousins all played and still do. Uh and that was a big influence on me younger, I think, just getting into music, but uh I tried to play guitar and it was just super fucking boring. Um <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's like I had a guitar and I had lessons, but uh, I just ended up getting a drum set at a garage sale and and playing. And so my mom's uh, brother and his son 
came over a couple times, and that was really exciting for me to get to play with them and have them be like, wow, you can actually do this. This is impressive. Mm-hmm. So, okay. That's cool. Yeah, I have that uh, urge inside of me to go get a drum kit and pretend I'm, that's you know, pretend one, to man. play. Pretend till you're not pretending anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's what I did. <laughs> you guys have a, you have a favorite club or venue in Austin you like to play? Continental Club is super tight. Very Mohawk, yeah. very tight. Yep. Where else? We love playing Blackheart on Tuesday nights as Wolf Dog and Dirt Boy. Every Tuesday at 10 o'clock, <laughs> the adventures of Wolf Dog and Dirt Boy. Uh, special guest every week. It's really it, That is actually a very fun way to go and kind of just uh, do whatever you want to. Different thing from Sideshow Tragedy, full band, loud shit. We can just kind of play just whatever comes into your head, which is real freeing and fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's, um, I mean, this town really has a, you know, an embarrassment of riches uh, when it comes to bands and venues. So, you know, there's there's like a new one, it seems, you know, every month that, you know, it's going to have, that's going to be better than the best club in some other city. And it's like, they're just, you know, trying to they're get They're everywhere. It. Yeah, it's, 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 it's cool. And it seems to operate completely independently of um, uh, big business, you know, or industry. It's like a, it's still, I mean, people bemoan the disappearance of like the, what Austin used to be like, uh, you know, I'm, I heard it, when I moved here in 99, people were telling me it was over. So, uh, yeah, yeah. But whatever. I mean, I think that, you know, things are in flux, things change, uh, cool things go away. And uh, that's also, that's how fashion works, you know, that's, that's how scenes work. So, uh, it's still a place that, uh, I think gets the, uh, it, it, it deserves its reputation. You know, Austin, absolutely Austin does. Would you say though it's like the situation's more dire than it was? You know, in in '99 with those same people saying, "Oh my God, this is already over." I mean, I mean, for I mean, as far as like the state of like the livelihood of musicians goes, uh, I mean, you could say that about just like the music industry in general. Um, Fucking uh, Napster, man. <laughs> for, for, <laughs> I've not so, heard I mean, that in a while. For so many reasons, you know. But uh, I don't know. Um, it's always a struggle, right? I mean, is any is anybody who who makes if their reputation and their livelihood stands on them playing clubs in Austin all the time, as as many musicians in this town it does. I mean, that's not really, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's not a real stable reputation or livelihood to begin with uh and rent is super expensive and that kind of thing pushes artists out but that's not uh that's not special to to austin i mean you know it's been happening in places like new york and san francisco for years so yeah it's just one of those things where you know uh you have to uh I, it's true i mean i'm not saying it isn't happening it is true but, but you know you can't complain about it. You have to either adapt or fight it or or something. Can be yeah. You know what I mean. Some well, some and adapting Ham, and evolving. Ham exists and Sims exists and stuff like that to really and, yeah, try to take care of the musical black fret infrastructure. Black fret. Yeah. Those things don't exist most places. So yeah, rent's going up. Some of the clubs are getting closed, but like you said, there's new stuff opening every day. There's still a whole bunch of stuff to do any night of the week, which means there's gigs to play. You yeah, know, and every night of the week, and you can get 
help with dental stuff and medical stuff and hearing stuff and and so you know it's it's not perfect but it's it's pretty cool really still i think you stick around for a while yeah Oh, have yeah. you been to Dallas lately? Not yeah. lately, I haven't, but I always hear just not good things. I mean, we play all the time, and we have a lot of friends there, and there's there's cool clubs and cool bands and stuff. But in terms of there's just... None of that. Like, yeah, in terms of things like Ham, Black Fret, in terms of, like... There's just not the support system there. Yeah, the, trying to nurture the... Yeah, it's just... Realizing that the, the people that are the musicians are the ones that you have to keep alive in order to keep your scene alive. Yeah, and I'm not picking on Dallas. I'm just thinking of Dallas because it's the city. It's a the close, close city. it's a close city to here and we play it all the time, so I go there a lot. I mean, but you could say, I mean, insert American city. Maybe just discuss the uh the album you just released. It came out in May of last year, 2015. And it was, and we recorded it the year before in uh, upstate New York at uh, Old Soul Studios in Catskill, New York, with uh, uh, Kenny Siegel produced it, uh, who is a producer that we were both a big fan of. And uh, we just sort of called him up and, you know, said, "Hey, here's our stuff. We'd love to record there. Well, we like what you do." And I didn't really expect a response, or not, you know, just a cold. It was just a cold email, you know, just like, yeah. "Hey, man." And he got right back to us, and he said, "I." You know, I love what you guys do. You know, let's make a fucking record. So we did, and uh, it was great. Uh, it took about a week, and just you know went in and hammered it out. It's very bare bones, really raw, you know, like rock record. And um, it's just you know, and when we toured the states and toured Europe last year for it, and uh, it was received really well. Um, I think tons of good press and. You know, here and overseas, and uh, you know, it's it's uh, still going well, still still getting good press. So I still like it too. I, I still is, yeah, <laughs> which is a big deal. Yeah, usually at this point, Jeremy's absolutely it's like, man. Don't turn that shit on. Set, <laughs> <laughs> just like so, you do get it is a little painstaking with you know so many takes on on a song. You're just ready to move on and get like yeah, let's just get that not, down. It's not so much the amount of takes but maybe the amount of times you have to listen to it while you're mixing it and then once it's been out for a while you've had a bunch of chances to listen to it again show it to people and you know you're like oh, i don't want to hear this anymore but i still i still pop it in the, the cd player every once in a while have you guys lived any other past lives or has all been just in the direction of music i was a high school student <laughs> that shit sucked. Now, I guess that is a past life, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. No, this is this is definitely. I mean, uh, I started playing when I was eleven, and I at that point I was like, "Well, this is this is what I'm going to do now." Which is, I mean, if you think about it, that's totally fucking nuts to 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 an eleven year old to. There's decide. there's no other options. You know what this I mean? Like, well, if I were so much nuts to decide as it is to actually stick with it. Well, if I'd if I'd have been, I mean, and I understand where a lot of adults that were trying to dissuade me from this career path were coming from because I mean, as a 34 year old man, I would have told myself, Nah, man, come on now, you don't, you, you know, because you don't know if you're gonna, you don't know if you're going to be good enough. You it's a hard know, living. You don't know if you're going to be able to write. You don't know if you're. Uh, the vocal stuff's gonna you, be there. Yeah, you don't know if you. First of all, you don't know if you're gonna be able to do it, and secondly, you don't know if you're gonna be able to 
take the you know enormous amount of bullshit that you're gonna have to put up with to to deal with you know something like the music industry you don't know if you're gonna have the 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 type of constitution that it takes to go on tour you know which is uh it's a hard thing you know i mean i mean it's not there are much harder things of course but uh you know compared to you know having a nice place to go home to every day after your job and sleep in your own bed and stuff and eat the food you want to eat it can be uh, a shock to the system so you don't know all this stuff when you're 11 all you did was watch um, the song remains the same and you know saw Zeppelin riding around in limos and playing on a big stage with smoke machines and wizards and shit running around <laughs> in the background you're like fuck yeah man <laughs> sign I'll me up do that there's many there's many subtle facets many iterations to this band uh, and many different ways that we come up with to make that money to well I was gonna say to to <laughs> to, to, to do the to do the same thing uh, under different names um, at different volume levels with a different accent you know? <laughs> that's clever I like it is there uh is there another uh, group in town or maybe friends of yours that, you know, really impresses you guys and, the, you know, it's somebody that's really, really making some great music? Man, we played a show uh, about six months ago in, in Dallas with this band called the Town Hall Devils, and I was just, I was really into that. I, I really like what they what they do. I think that's a good band. And then um, our, our friends Amplified Heat, you know, I, I don't need to say any more about them. Right, yeah, they've been around a long time. And uh, Foot Patrol is super cool. Foot Patrol. My girlfriend's seen Foot Patrol. I haven't saw, have weird, not man. seen Foot Patrol. I like it a lot. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. Uh, Eric Tesmer was a monster. Yeah, that blew me away. Yeah, yeah. that was it's incredible. Monster. Um, uh, Leopold and his fiction. Oh, yeah, they're real good. That's like a great them. band. I should have said that one. Damn. Yeah. Another missed opportunity. Willie Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> and I was trying to... <laughs> He's making some great you music. It. You did it. Good one. Shit. What the fuck am I even here for if you got the jokes, man? God damn. I know, that's one of those... Willie, I've got to... Yeah, that's like, got to go see Willie again because he's getting up there. Yeah. That's important. Yeah, especially with everybody dying. Ben Ballinger's Scary. badass. I like that guy. Oh, he yeah. is not fucking around, is he? Yeah, he's good. <laughs> he's he real good. We have uh, every Tuesday on our Wolf Dog and Dirt Boy residency, we have um, uh, several different um, friends of ours open up, and they're all great. I can go Jeremy Nail, Corey Baum, Drew Smith, and Allie Holder. And uh, uh, all of those are all really good. We like them a lot. They're hand picked. By us, handpicked by the us. Sideshow tragedy, <laughs> aka Wolf Dog and Dirt Boy, aka what was it? T Bone and Popcorn Man. <laughs> T Bone and Popcorn Man. <laughs> so yeah, those are good blues names. Yeah. yeah, nine o'clock starts the show. Yep. Tuesday nights, Black Art. Croy and the Boys is Corey's band. We remember that. Yeah, Croy and the Boys and Dumb. He also has a band called Dumb. Try googling that. Well, thank you very much, guys. Man, yeah. thanks so much for having us, Ben. Absolutely. Sideshow Tragedy. Thank you. Thanks, man. Capital, a great album, top to bottom. And wrapping the show up with a song called Let the Love Go Down, which is a deeper track. And to throw this out there, they play tomorrow night in Dallas at the Double Wide. 
That would be January 30th. And they have a Tuesday night residency at the Blackheart. So get in on that. Thanks for pressing play. Here's Let the Love Go Down. that moves, not the sun, not the stars. We got centuries of memories, keep us locked right where we are. And now the church house is full, but everyone's crying through their prayers. Are you ready to roll the bones? Are you still too scared? I know it's best to be prepared for whatever's out there. Into the heavens, in towers of glass Spiraling into the earth, and digging deep into the past What kind of artifacts did you bring back? An ancient currency, worthless and rusted Maybe the helmet of a soldier, nameless and forgotten Or some papal screed, believed in and trusted all so beastly and cancerous and rotten And I know I'm never gonna win I know I'm running out of time I don't need nothing to believe in I don't need to know why There's a chance that I'm gonna take There are secrets and there are lies I'm gonna take the secrets 